seated. On the shortest day of the calendar year, December 21st, the winter solstice, sunlight pours through a carefully hewn opening in the domed tomb of ancient tribal kings of Ireland. And you can see this is the actual picture taken from inside the tomb. The tomb, and especially the crypt itself, is bathed in a blinding sunlight for just 17 minutes. The light creeping into the opening of the tomb can be seen for about a week before and a week after the winter solstice, but it is only at that singular day that the sun is at the right angle, that it goes all the way back into the very crypt of the vault where the bodies of the kings of Ireland were laid. For the rest of the year, the burial vault is in total darkness. This tomb predates Stonehenge by a thousand years. It predates Jesus' birth by over 3,000 years and was finished hundreds of years before the first pyramid of Giza ever shot upward in Egypt. This tomb and its construction is a testimony to how human beings relentlessly are looking for life and light in the midst of the darkness and of the grave. Even if light can only be seen for 17 minutes. They buried Jesus in a tomb, much like this, a tomb coming from Palestine. They quickly prepared his body. They put the body in this tomb. They sealed the tomb, and it was over. And everyone thought it was over. Women who wanted to pay their final respects to their master, who had died, early on Sunday morning after Sabbath, they were going to pay those respects. And their biggest concern of all was who's going to roll the stone away. But God had just one more surprise for them early that Sunday morning. As they approached, they saw that the stone had already been moved Going to the tomb, they peered in, and they saw no body, but they saw grave clothes laying on the slab where the body had been laying, and an angel asking them, do you seek Jesus of Nazareth? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. God is a God full of surprises. The women were surprised. The disciples were surprised. The world was surprised. St. John, in his marvelous opening to his gospel, John the theologian, his gospel is truly a theological treatise on, on Jesus. He opens his gospel with these verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was the light of God. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overpowered it. The tomb, because of the resurrection of Jesus, is no longer a place of death. It becomes a sign of hope and of life and of a light that cannot be conquered by the darkness of death because Jesus has risen. And he promised us, you heard that in the gospel, that he would send the gift, the helper, the gift of the Holy Spirit who will bring his life into ours. As we finish today uh, this sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, and we look at the third article. Pastor Davis looked at the third article yesterday, uh, last week, and today we're going to look at the rest of it. But let's read this third article together. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, what is interesting, this creed, this third article, follows the statement that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he will come again on the last day to be the judge of the living and the dead. And so, in the expectation of the resurrection of Christ, his ascension into heaven, and his promise to return to us on the last day, the creed now describes for us what it means to be people of the resurrection. People who call Jesus our Lord, my Lord. And these six statements of the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, I believe in the communion of saints, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, I believe in the resurrection of the body, and I believe in life everlasting. These are the six, if you would say, principles that the Christian life is lived out under as we believe that Jesus is risen from the grave. We don't worship a dead master, a wonderful philosopher whose bones are still in Palestine. We worship the living Lord present among us. Dr. Luther, in his marvelous explanation to the third article, he says, what does this mean? So what all those statements mean to us? Let's read that meaning together. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength Believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins, and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. Now, the final six statements of the creed, as well as Luther's explanation, basically explain what our Christian conviction is and what our Christian hope is. In other words, how you and I live in this world, how we conduct the affairs in this world. When we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's greatest gift to me and to you is the gift of belief in Jesus. That's why Luther says, I believe that I can't believe. The, the Holy Spirit has, has given me faith in Jesus. Even that is a gift. David, Pastor Davis looked at that last week. 
We believe in what? The Holy Catholic Church. We believe that. Because after that faith, just like a child is born, we are born into a new family of God. That's the church. And as a family, what does a family do? A family looks after her children. The church is called the bride of Christ. The church is our mother. Because what does our mother do for us, especially as an infant? With her own body, she what? Feeds us. And that is what Holy Church does. So we have faith by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has placed us into a community in which Jesus the Lord, through his ministers and his bishops and all leaders, feed the children of God. With what? Luther says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Because here, now, the Lord's gift to us, the very thing that he came to achieve, Holy Church gives this to us constantly. Then we affirm that this life is not it. And we absolutely deny that he who dies with the most toys wins. It's a lie. He who dies with saving faith in Jesus wins. And the final statement, I believe in life everlasting. My brothers and sisters, all you have to do is look around our culture and how dark it's growing. We live in a culture of death and division, do we not? You see it all around us. Darkness creeping in even to Christian homes. Darkness pervading even the way we think. What the creed and the word of God does and through the power of the Spirit, he wakes us up because I think the devil just wants to lull us to sleep. It's okay, it's okay. You miss one, you miss two. Before you know it, you miss a month. You don't need Eucharist. Oh, you know, I wonder what's happening to me. You become the proverbial frog in the pot that's getting warmer. Through the ministry of the Holy Church, Jesus continues his ministry of reaching out to his children and reaching out to a world of a culture of death and darkness with a love that conquered both. Wherever the name of Jesus is proclaimed and what he accomplished on the cross is proclaimed, the forgiveness of our sins, the Holy Spirit is breathing life and breathing light into us and into our world. Because you see, the Holy Church is not some weird concept. It's you and I. It's the people of God. The church is flesh and bone of body and blood. The church gathers here around the name of Jesus and the very altar in which we celebrate his sacrifice. And then the church is dismissed with those closing words of the Mass. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. In other words, take what you've received and you now go live it as a holy church, as a holy people. St. Paul, he, he says it so beautifully in that magnificent eighth chapter of Romans that I read for you. Just follow along as I read. Christ lives in you. So you are alive because God has accepted you, even though your bodies must die because of your sins. Let me stop there for a moment. You know, our bodies wear out. You know, the Lord Jesus has breathed life, but you know, these bodies, because we have been born into the family of, of man, the family of Adam and Eve, 
We've inherited this disease called sin. And the Lord came to forgive that sin, to remove that sin from us and to give us the life. But you know what? We still are weakened. Our bodies still are so susceptible. And did you get that? You live in a battle every single day. Your sinful desires versus what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do. And sometimes we just want to stuff our ears and say, God, get out of here. And don't kid yourself, you do that. I do it. But here you find yourself today, i got to ask you, where in your life do you want to plug your ears and say, God, enough is enough? Where does it happen in your life? Sex? Booze? Drugs? You live in, encased in fears? Where do you not want to hear God's Spirit? Paul says we can't live by our sinful desires or we're going to die. But we have been given the Spirit. That's what he's saying. Listen, Christ lives in you. You have everything you need because you have Christ. And so he goes on, he says, yet God raised Jesus to life. God's Spirit now lives in you. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You were baptized as his child. And now live what you believe. Your body, he says, is going to rise to life by his Spirit. My brothers and sisters, the grave and death and the devil himself do not have power over you unless you give it to them. Unless you, you just say, eh, not over, I'll do this, I want to do it my way. But you have everything you need, the Spirit the holy church, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of the resurrection, eternal life. You had it all. It's all there packaged for you. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? I've said this before. I'll say it again until my dying day. The most controversial sermon that Jesus ever preached in his ministry. The one in which people were listening to every word and after they heard these words of Jesus... They said, this guy is a lunatic. And they walked out on him, out of the church, out of the synagogue. Look at the words of Jesus. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And I will raise him up at the last day. What? an incredible promise of the risen Savior. If, this was, if he was a liar or a lunatic, it's just bread and wine. We're fools, Paul says. But if he is who he claims to be, and if the power of the Spirit is working, then in the Eucharist, by the power of his word and by the very Spirit through which he was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Mother, the very flesh and blood of the Son of God is there present for us Christians to eat and drink. And my brothers and sisters, that is the redemption of this body that is encased in the disease called sin. And it's terminal. I don't care how, you know, I don't care how many low-carb diets you try. 
or how many vitamins you take or how diligent you are in running and exercising, okay, and you get your regular checkups and you do all of this, one day it ain't going to be enough, is it? You're going to die. But for us, that doesn't mean much. Because when this body of mine, this body of yours, has partaken of the very flesh and blood of Christ, Jesus has given my body and your body, my soul and yours, the promise. And I will raise him up on the last day. We are people of the resurrection. And what we do with our bodies means everything because our bodies have been redeemed, not just our souls. And what we do with our bodies, which is the temple of the Spirit, we are called to glorify God. These six final articles, statements of the creed, express for you and I what it means to live as people of the resurrection, people who believe in the surprising power of God, As we live, so we believe. And as we believe, so must we live. There was a uh, town in South Carolina. It had succeeded for decades at being a dry town. You know what that means? (laughs) It doesn't mean they didn't have water. They didn't have any liquor store or bar in the town, okay? You know that Lutherans weren't there. Uh, but anyways, they, they, this, this, this town really succeeded, and, and so it was a dry, dry town. So uh, a stranger moved in. This fellow got in there. He applied for a liquor license, and guess what? To the outrage of a local a congregation in town, he opened a liquor store on Main Street. The members of this congregation were so outraged that, that the pastor had called for weekly prayer, daily prayer meetings. So they would gather in the evening of the church and would pray fervently that God would get rid of this evil that has come into their town, this demon of alcohol. So they're praying about this. Well, one night, a terrible thunderstorm came in. And wouldn't you know it, it's recorded that lightning struck the liquor store and burned it to the ground. The owner who knew about the prayers of this congregation sued the church for damages. Claiming that their prayers were the cause of his loss. All right? It gets better. The church members also hired an attorney. And the attorney argued before the court that there was no direct link between the prayers of the congregation and this freak accident of nature. The judge heard the case And he delivered his opinion. This is his opinion. It is the opinion of this court that wherever the guilt may lie, 
it is obvious that the liquor store owner is the one who really believes in the power of God, while the members of that congregation do not. Think about it. Oh, we were praying God, but oh, no, <laughs> we don't want to be. <laughs> yeah. As humorous as this story is, you know what it demonstrates? The danger of acting like a good Christian, acting like a good Lutheran. You know the right things to say, especially when you come to church. You know, when you come to church, I mean, you know what to do. You know how to act. You know the right words. You want to make sure everybody thinks really properly. Of, you, you have it all of acting the right way, saying the right things, but denying the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you realize the Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he warns the church that in the latter days, I believe we are in the latter days, in the latter days, get this, many will hold to the form of our religion. They know the right words to say, oh, they can hold their Bibles, wear their crosses, do it all right, but deny the power of of God. Wow. The resurrection of Jesus, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, his giving the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who are baptized in his name. My brothers and sisters, in this third and final article of the Creed, it is the summons for every Christian here to live what we confess with our mouths. Every time before I come out to say the liturgy, to conduct worship, I usually say a prayer privately or sometimes we will pray corporately if we have time. This is the prayer that I pray. And I'd like to close my homily. If you would pray this with me, please stand. together. Lord, may what I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart and practice in my life. Amen.